From Workhouse Connect and A.J. Benza. Fame. Uh, he liked to be walked on a leash and play really dirty, kinky sex games. He's a... The guy put the cock in the Peacock Network, okay? Bitch. Hey, everybody. A.J. Benza here for Free Ball Friday. Fame is a bitch. It is February 11th, 2022. Good to be here. Good to know that you guys are listening to me. And good to see the numbers going up again on the Patreon. I've noticed a number of you signing up. I see it. I see it on my little counter. I don't look at those numbers too often, but I like to see people signing up uh, on a daily basis. It makes you feel good. So I'm happy. Got a little dip for a while there, but... We're coming back like we should, and here we are. You know, i got a couple of things to say today, but I wanted to talk about real quickly. Um, I mentioned this in the Patreon as well. You guys might as well hear it. It's not breaking news, but you all saw Heather McDonald, the comedian, faint on stage after bragging about being vaccinated and boosted and Jesus loves her, blah, blah, blah. Top of her game, never looked healthier, boom, Faints, really scary, cracks her skull in the hospital. A couple of days later, we find out Bob Saget died of a brain bleed because he hit his head somewhere in the room. They don't know where. They're guessing. He hit it so bad that he laid back down in bed under the covers and thought he'd sleep it off, and the brain bleed killed him. And I know a friend of one of my relatives died that way too, hitting their head the same way. So I'm not saying that's not true. But I'm wondering, <clears throat> I don't believe that Bob Saget hit his head on the on the headboard. Headboards at hotels are flat. It's not going to hurt you. I think Bob Saget fainted also. I think he fainted, maybe hit his head in, on, on, on the bathroom sink, an end table. We'll never know. And maybe when he came to, he crawled back to bed and thought, oh God, I'll just sleep this off. And he died that way. It's terrible news, but... You know, both of them were vaccinated, and now there's news that Bob Saget had COVID in his repertory system. This is such bullshit. I'm not saying he didn't, but I'm saying if he did, then why isn't his death being counted as a COVID death? Because that's what they did for two frigging years, count everybody's death who had COVID in their system, even though they died of diabetes or strokes or cancer or heart attacks. If you tested positive for COVID, which they always give you blood panels when you enter a, a hospital, it, it automatically it was a COVID death. And it was nonsense. So we've been lied to for a long time. I'm not saying COVID didn't kill a lot of people. It did. But it killed people, as the CDC has admitted, with as many or an average of four other comorbidities that they were living with. So I don't want to, you know, look, I, I just think that we have to focus on the fainting aspect here. And possibly if Heather McDonald was in a hotel and had, hadn't left her hotel yet to go perform, she might have fainted the same way. It's a matter of timing. She could have had a head on the, on the end table or the coffee table and died the same way. So is there a connection with the fainting and the vaccinations? Keep your eye on people fainting. Jesus. The other story the other day, kind of weird. Former Major League Baseball player Jeremy Giambi dies. Suicide, probably accidental. They're not saying. I don't think they said, but he was a big partier. Um, His brother, Jason Giambi, who was a Yankee uh, for us and did well for us for a number of years, was a Yankee. 
And he was famous for partying. And I'll tell you how I knew not only Jason, but his brother as well were partiers. Me and Joey were out one night at Scores, the famous strip club in Manhattan. This is, I think the last, well, I think it was 2000 when the Yankees were against, was it Tampa? I'm going to get this wrong. They were playing the Marlins, Florida Marlins in the World Series. And um, we needed Jason Jami to play. It was one of the last years of his career. Maybe, the, no, he was traded. One of the last years, he started to break down. Legs were going. Things were happening. Big guy, steroid user, the whole thing. And um, wasn't in the starting lineup, which was terrifying because he had a big bat. We needed his bat. Didn't want to lose the series, which we went on to lose. And um, he didn't play this one game, and we needed him to pinch hit. It was a perfect time to pinch hit with men on base, and he didn't go out there. And the other thing that ties us with the brother who died, he's part of the most, probably the most famous play, defensive play in Yankee history, where I forget who batted, hit a ball in the gap during the playoffs, Yankees against Oakland, and... um I'm going to say Paul O'Neill was in right field, gets the ball off the wall, throws a, a, a bomb, a, a bullet down the first baseline. The first baseman fakes that he's catching it. Derek Jeter was not supposed to be anywhere near the first baseline since he's a shortstop. Jeter runs to the first baseline. Many of you sports fans know the play. Catches the ball on a hop. Takes his right hand and underhands it backward to the catcher, Jorge Posada, as... Jeremy Giambi is close to stepping on home plate. Posada backhands and happens to hit the back calf of Giambi's leg before his toe touches home plate. Yankees keep the one nothing lead, go on to win the series. The most famous defensive play in Yankee history, I think, in my opinion. And Jeremy Giambi, unfortunately, is the guy tagged out. So, me and Joey go to sports the years 2000, the Yankees had just lost the World Series. We're still wearing our World Series hats, our Yankee hats. And um, we see, is that fucking, is that the Jami brothers there? That's fucking Jason Jami. That's the Yankee. Fuck yeah, that's Jason Jami. Yeah, that's Jeremy. They look like twins. They're very similar looking. And um, Jason goes to the bathroom. And back then, I was having a little fun with the powder, you know. So, I go in the bathroom and follow him, and I go, uh, dude, what happened out there? You know, you didn't pinch it, bro. I go, what happened with the team? And actually, before we went to the bathroom, Joey and I were talking to him, and, uh, you know, Joey played ball in college. He goes, what happened to you guys, man? Jason said flat out, you know, fucking, we played in Miami, bro, Party City, and he pointed to his nose. I was like, oh, my God. I said, Joey, wait here. So I go in the bathroom, I follow him, I go, look, you want a little... A little help there? He goes, what do you got? And I showed him, and we did a bump, and uh, his brother did the same thing. So it doesn't surprise me that this guy, Jeremy Jambi, was probably a partier and liked to party and maybe was still doing it. I don't know. They're not saying, unless I missed it in the article, how he died. I don't think it was a gunshot wound. You know, they just say died suddenly, unexpectedly, suicide. Sometimes they don't tell you. So I don't know how he died. If it's drugs, it doesn't surprise me at all because he was a partier. He even got traded, I believe, by um, Oakland because of his partying ways and it didn't sit well with the manager. And then, uh, anyhow, sad to see him go. Decent ball player. Not as good as his brother Jason, but uh, he's tied to Yankee history. 
Moving on real quick. Those of you who've listened to this show for several years know in the beginning I had a good old time outing pedophiles in Hollywood and wherever the hell they were hiding out. And I gave them a lot I gave them I gave them a lot of fits. I did. I had some help from people on the inside who knew about these guys. Um and 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 we did really well. We outed a lot of guys. In the early years of this show, Gabe Hoffman was a great um, source of mine. You know, he was uh, the, the the producer of the film An Open Secret, which uh, really delved into the, some of the abuse that that uh, young young men in Hollywood were, were were suffering from at the hands of older men, directors, you know, producers, casting directors, actors, shit like that. And we got a lot of guys' names out there, and you know they were they were running, they were like cockroaches when you turn the light on. We got a lot of them smoked out, and you remember some of the creepy queers of yesteryear. If you've been on this show for four years, like the big shot Hollywood director Brian Singer and his merry band of boy rapists, we did a number on him, man. I did. Oh God, I talked about him probably twenty five times, and. Uh, a lot of other people followed suit. He was significantly hurt financially. Anyhow, he's got more money than he needs. But still, I don't know if they're knocking on his door right now. But um, I'm not saying he's never going to go after an underage boy again. But now at least he's not as brazen about it. Because he was having these twink parties in his backyard in Beverly Hills. All the boys, all the guys were nude. And these boys were just walking around distributing drugs and alcohol and, and partaking and then having sex with the older guys. It was... Not all of them. Um, not all of them are underage. Plenty of them are eighteen and nineteen. But still, it, it was a disgusting display of a much older man and a much younger boy, and ugh, just a lot of people who thought they'd work in Hollywood were washed out and washed up and just destroyed and never came back. And some killed themselves. Many are in therapy, and God knows what else has happened to them. But. Since the only pedophile is a dead one, the only good pedophile is a dead one, we can't get what we really want until they're six feet under. Or maybe if they're punished in general population at a penitentiary, tough on kitty diddlers, we can only hope. But Brian Singer had so many pals who hit out in Hollywood in all sorts of areas and professions. A lot of them were casting directors like um, Jason James Murphy, who once served in a five-year prison term for kidnapping and abusing an eight-year-old boy outside Seattle. But that didn't stop Hollywood from hiring him to work again on films and cast kids in movies like Super 8, Bad News Bears, School of Rock, Cheaper by the Dozen 2, and The Three Stooges. Jason James doesn't work in Hollywood anymore, the jerk-off, and you can thank guys like me who opened their mouths when not many others were. Now, as alarming as this one story is, it's not that surprising since Hollywood's gay velvet mafia loves to hand out work to their kind. You just look at Victor Salva. There's many other names I can mention. I'll mention Victor Salva. Remember that winner? He was once called the convicted Hollywood pedophile who won't go away. Salva served 15 months in prison in the late 80s for raping a 12-year-old. 15 months for raping a 12-year-old boy. That's that's all some judges think your kids are worth. And the boy Victor Salva raped, Nathan Forrest Winters, who I had on the show a few years ago, was a 12-year-old boy when he told his mom that the writer-director, who was a family friend, 
had sexually abused him on the set of the movie Clown House, in which Winters was one of the three young stars. And in 1988 is when Salva pleaded guilty to lewd and lascivious conduct with a child under 14, having oral sex with a child under 14, procuring a child for pornography. He also filmed the sexual acts with Winters as well and only did 15 months of a three-year prison sentence at Soledad State Prison. And since he got out of prison in 89, Salva has made nine movies beginning with the straight-to-video shit Nature of the Beast. Then he made Powder, which came out all over the place. Both of them came out in 95. He was also behind the original Jeepers Creepers that went on to gross nearly $60 million worldwide. A sequel followed two years later, even made more money. So there were actually people in Hollywood who didn't have a problem with hiring a pedophile to make a comeback because, listen, a hit movie's a hit movie. But three hit movies is so great. They don't care how much trauma it caused Nathan Winters and other boys that he may have raped. See, it was creeps like him that got my back up when I started this podcast and wanted to eradicate. And it's gone pretty well. But again, until they're all dead, I'm never going to be too happy. What I also went on to warn you about years ago, and I'm sorry to say to many of you who thought I was crazy... I told you there was something called the Alphabet Army that was going to start normalizing pedophilia and try and make us feel like the weird and sick ones who don't truly understand them. We're not understanding them. They've got a problem. They don't mean to hurt anybody. Well, I was right. They're here. And you've all heard about it, read about it, seen about it. Okay? These sick freaks on many of my podcasts. I could go on and on. Give you so many more names of those we smoked out. But this is not meant to take a trip down memory lane of uh, mayhem. But I did want to alert you to a newcomer to our freak show of teenage boy bangers who became very, very public in his try in his in his attempt to normalize his sickness at uh, of pedophilia, and that would be a professor at Fredonia College, a SUNY school upstate New York. This time, the pedophile is not hiding out in a casting office or an editing room. This guy is a philosophy ethics professor at Fredonia who has expressed his support and encouragement of pedophilia and adult-child sexual relationships during interviews, in his own academic papers, and even in his class material. Now, there is talk that universities are places that should foster a difference of opinion on many, many things in life. I tend to agree to that, but pedophilia is not one of them. And this prick professor, Stephen, uh, Stephen Kirshner, and his sick views are directly harmful to a community already dealing with instances of sexual assault and struggles with consent. It's Stephen, E-P-H-E-N, Kirshner, K-E-R-S-H, N-A-R. Now, Fredonia made a statement, and amazingly, it wasn't about how much they hate this guy and they made a mistake hiring him. No, they said, look at, um, we, 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 we maintain that uh, he's a distinguished professor. And we, we supported his problematic academic papers. Uh, basically, they're sticking up for him. They're not going to shit on him. Now, I know it's the murky, woke, woke world of secondary uh, education in America, academia. But, you know, Fredonia is not backing down. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That shows you directly that this college encourages his actions and views. Nobody has balls anymore especially men in academia. Some transgender women do, at least they say they do, but not many men do. Now, obviously, there are many students who don't feel safe on a campus that encourages this kind of sick behavior. So a petition has been put together where students said as much. They said, we need to have Stephen Kirsten removed from campus to preserve both the safety and integrity that this institution of SUNY Fredonia promises and should strive to be known for. So, Let's do me a favor, and also a lot of teenage students a favor. Sign the petition at change.org to fire Professor Stephen Kirshner from SUNY Fredonia. They need 50,000 signatures. Last I counted, they had 44,000 and change. Let's keep the pressure on and smoke these goddamn creeps out. Maybe I'm a little hot because I have a daughter who's going to be going to college in September. But this should scare any one of you. I don't care how old your kids are or if your kids are old enough and moved on. You're going to have grandkids soon. You probably do now. Think about that when they start lining up for colleges. So go sign the petition at change.org to fire Stephen Kirshner. K-E-R-S-H-N-A-R. Son of a bitch. Well, 120-something that Kirshner won't be bothering is Brooklyn Beckham. Now, if you've been following the career of, of, of the career path, I should say, of this 22-year-old son of soccer star David Beckham and the former Spice Girl Victoria, I don't know why you would be, but if you are, you might have heard college didn't really work for him. Not surprising at all about that. He took a shot at some jobs. He tried to be a pro soccer player, but. Playing in his father's shadow would have been very tough. Beckham was a hell of a soccer star. Plus, he's not nearly as good. He didn't have he didn't have the goods, really. That, that's the word. He tried playing for the Arsenal along with two of his older brothers. It didn't work out. Plus, he was just 16. He quit back in 2015 or so. It broke his father's heart. Brooklyn told him one day, every day I step on the field, I know people are saying, this is David Beckham's son, and if I'm not as good as you, Dad, then it's not good enough. It's kind of sad. Instead, he said, I'm going to be a professional photographer. But that wasn't in the picture either, despite his mother pulling all sorts of strings with fashion people. So now he swears he knows what his passion is, and it is cooking. Yes, he has decided to become, or he says he's a professional chef, and he now has his own cooking series called Cooking with Brooklyn. (laughs) The only problem is, those who've seen what goes on behind the scenes, who've peeked into this show, quote-unquote, 
he's not cooking as much as he is preparing. You know, like what a lot of people who can't cook do? The difference is those people don't get their own show. Unless they're Paris Hilton, who had a cooking show that didn't last long and then it takes the time of goddamn egg, thank God. I watched her try and prepare macaroni and cheese, and she had no idea what pan to use, when to put the milk and the cheese in. She didn't even use milk, how long to cook the pasta before baking it. It was awful. It was a shit show. Her show should have been called Stick to Sex Tapes. I like Paris Hilton. I like looking at her, so I put up with it for two episodes, but I couldn't go back. And she'd have celebrities come over, and she'd cook for them, and they'd lie and say it was good. It was It was terrible. Oh, hold that thought, by the way. Did any of you see the little Instagram story that the hip-hopper Nelly put out the other night? Oh, my God. It was some girl, or thought, as they call them, which stands for that hoe over there. That's the way, that's the way hip-hoppers speak. And that's why they headline Super Bowl halftime shows. And this girl is performing fellatio on him. And it's not just like two seconds. It's a good minute. And, you know, I'm not sure why he put it out there. I guess he wanted publicity, but he didn't exactly throw a log onto the fire that black men are all well hung because Nelly looks quite ordinary. So maybe it was a big mistake after all, but it's worth a quick watch, I guess. The girl's pretty good at it. You don't see Nelly's face, which is good, but you do see another part of his anatomy, and it's not anything to brag about. But either way, it's out there. You can find it. Back to Brooklyn. Brooklyn's shit show only airs on Facebook, Messenger, and Instagram. Oh, I can't believe people have shows on these. It's just, it makes me laugh. I remember years ago, and, and they're right, I was wrong. Years ago, 20 years ago, managers and agents at William Morris would tell me, try to make content short form. We're going to be doing stuff on the computer, and there's going to be shows on computers. And I'm like, a show on a computer? I'm on the movie screen and television. Every day. I don't want to be in a computer. No, really, AJ, you think shorter content, but more. And then they were right. I don't like it as much, but they were right. So he's done cooking demos on The Late Late Show with James Corden. He did some of Rachel Ray. But you have to see his appearance on the Today Show to see what I'm talking about, what a failure this is. How could anyone who cast these segments allow this kid who calls himself a professional chef, come in there and do what he did. He stood there in their fake studio kitchen and he taught, in parentheses, or quotes, I should say, he taught Hoda Kotb. Is that how you say name? I always forget. Kotb. Hoda Kotb? Kotb? Kotb. Yeah. Such a weird name. Hoda Kotb and Carson Daly. He taught them how to assemble a breakfast sandwich. Not to make one, how to assemble one. I can't make it up. The food was cooked already. He didn't cook it. He took pre-cooked bacon from a pan, then some pre-cooked eggs from a plate, and placed them all on an untoasted piece of white bread, or two pieces of white bread. He did crack a few eggs in the pan in the beginning and stirred it for a second, but then they had to move on the segment fast, so he grabbed the food already prepared that he didn't cook, by the way. I can't. You know, the Beckhams might be like those parents of kids who go on um, American Idol because they think they have what it takes, you know. But as soon as they open their mouths and it's like two cats having sex on your roof, you know, this kid can't sing. How could their parents let them go? 
What the hell is their kitchen at home like if they saw their kid do this at 22 years old and thought, oh my God, Dave, he's got what it takes. Look at him, love. Look at him go. No, he doesn't. It's kind of understood that the kid can't cook. It's out there. He's more, he's more like those annoying idiots on TikTok or Rumble who show you these ridiculous recipes that kids at college eat or cook when they come home drunk and eat something to soak up the alcohol from the pub. You know what I mean? But insiders familiar with the series told the New York Post that Cooking with Brooklyn has a team of 62 professionals to help him demonstrate how to make sandwiches, a culinary producer who approves the recipes, five camera operators, and nine producers. That's insane. That's the size of a crew like any of the Real Housewives shows would use. And maybe not even that. Like, that's a huge crew. Not a spoiled 22-year-old making an egg sandwich on untoasted white bread. He doesn't need that type of crew. The rumor is the Beckhams are paying to produce the show. His mom, like I said, pulls strings to get him into fashion photography. And now, it's being said, their family friend, Gordon Ramsay, is being leaned on too, or was leaned on. And Ramsay, after watching the kid cook, he, he, he told the parents put as much money into it as they could. He couldn't have seen promise in this crap. He, he couldn't have. But this is what happens, guys, when you don't teach your kids how to work towards goals and just spend the time learning from the bottom up. If this is really what this kid wants, what this kid wants, and I'm going to take a chance here and say it's probably not. I think he just wants to be famous. His parents could afford to put him anywhere. They could send him to the best schools in the world. They can get him internships anywhere. The best places, restaurants with top chefs. For Christ's sake, Gordon Ramsay has 35 restaurants. I'm sure it's because Ramsay saw no hope in this kid's future. And he told David and Victoria to use their own money to fund this endless nightmare. Because Ramsay could have put him in a kitchen at one of those restaurants and had him learn. He wants nothing to do with it. I know Brooklyn Beckham is part of the Lucky Sperm Club, but the only way to learn how to be great at something is to start them at the bottom so they can see how everything works. And then with a little hustle and hard work, you rise up the ranks and you become what you become. But instead of this idea of let's let's just put him out there with no training and allow him to be you know made fun of, for what he is, which is a spoiled, untalented, rich kid that just, you know, is going to go far because of nepotism. And, you know, there's people's, people have theories that a lot of new money people, a lot of these new money wealthy people like the Beckhams, they're not really intelligent or sophisticated themselves. And they didn't really have the ambition and, and, and culture to offer nice things for their kids. People with old money or from old money, or often the people who have sophisticated kids. Kids who go on to play music, ride horses, learn languages, go to art school, study literature. The other aspect is that new money people are just like materialistic. And they don't think about the whole development of a human being when they're raising kids. They only live in the now from moment to moment, because that's what this new generation is like. So if their kid doesn't want to do something, don't let them do it. Take it, it's fine. Don't, it's fine. You don't have to do it. The kids run the households. If the kids doesn't want to eat something, they give them something else. You don't feel like this chicken? All right, then eat what you want, honey. No. 
When my mother made meatloaf, we ate meatloaf. I didn't say I want something else. I didn't go make a grilled cheese. I fucking ate the meatloaf. If the kid doesn't want to stay in music, I don't want to learn the saxophone. Uh, let him quit. Let him quit. I don't want to play sports. Let him quit. No, you cannot do that to kids. They need structure. If a kid at 22 is bouncing around like this, I know part of youth is about that, but you can't keep calling yourself a professional something or other and not be good at it. You'd see it with parents with, with school clothes. Clothes. Like kids get an outfit, they wear it once, don't wear it again, they're bored of it. They want something else. Because somebody on social media has a new jacket, a new pair of sneakers, a new a new hoodie. I could see David and Victoria being exactly like this, allowing their son to hop from one thing to the other based on just what he's feeling during the moment. He's never truly mastered anything, but he's going to end up feeling like the master of everything. And it makes me laugh that he has a fiance, and she's the daughter of the billionaire Nelson Peltz, by the way, not just anyone. And, you know, this guy's planning on being someone's husband without an actual career. That That's not going to fly too much longer for for uh, the father-in-law Peltz, big old Nelson. And you want to know what's going to happen? He's going to get bored and quit the marriage, quit the, quit the, if they ever get married, he's going to, he's, he's going to leave. Just like he left soccer, just like he left photography, just like he'll leave cooking, because there's there's no reason why he would be mature in a marriage when he's immature in everything else. But it's going to be interesting to see what the Beckham's other kids end up like. You know, but then again, I mean, is is there ever anything interesting about the Beckham's at all? But Brooklyn Beckham is the culture nowadays. That's that's the culture of 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 kids and 20-somethings. They're soft. I've said many times that these kids lack what I call and other people call sweat equity. When have they done something? Do you know many kids that shovel driveways when it's snowing out for five or ten bucks like we used to do? Mow lawns? I know now it's the attack of the Latino landscapers, but shit, there's got to be somebody who mows their own lawn. We we would take our lawnmower five, six, ten, twelve houses down and make twenty bucks on a summer a summer weekend. Four lawns, twenty bucks. That was big money at sixteen years old. Shoveling driveways before snowblowers were a thing, and our backs were strong. That was a quick way to make money for the weekend. If you kept asking mother and father for money, hey. It's going to snow tomorrow. Get the fucking boots on and shovel some driveways. Go to the Rositos, go to the Dascolis, go to the Tischlers and ask them if you can shovel their driveway. And we did that. So now this culture of weak children, weak 20-somethings, people who work for Dr. Phil. Have you heard this story about a dozen of his current and former employees of the Dr. Phil show? have uh, went to BuzzFeed News and shared their allegations that that, uh, there was a dark shadow around the long-running advice program. Apparently, Dr. McGraw, Dr. Phil, had had a reputation for his affable, no-nonsense advice and so-called Philisms. And one was, we teach how people to treat us. We teach people how to treat us. Why is that bad? And... This is what these kids are saying. These are the complaints. Everyone was just pretty miserable. You would walk into the building and there was just a palpable dread and anxiety. You know how many fucking jobs I had like that in my 20s before I got the one I wanted at 31? And even when I had the ones I wanted in my 20s, I still had to go through days like that and have bosses who were so miserable. 
Charlie Clark was the one of the most miserable old-time journalists. He was a guy who was broadcasting the Don Lawson perfect game as one of his sports jobs. He was there, broad, that was his claim to fame, and he, he was the high school sports editor for a while. He was a very old man. He didn't talk to us. He spoke in grunts, and he was our boss. Charlie, can I get an extra shift? No. Not, let's have a meeting about it. What are your thoughts on this? You're not going to have another shift. If you guys don't shut up, you'll get no shifts. That was work. Everybody was miserable. You know, everybody had terrible mental health problems because of the work conditions were really bad. Give me a goddamn break. I would have nightmares, one former employee told BuzzFeed. Wants to remain anonymous for fear of backlash. Even when I quit, I had to go to therapy for it, which is crazy because I was working for a therapist. (laughs) Fucking asshole. Look, man, Dr. Phil was known to use the words like idiots and stupid. Sometimes he'd have a little outburst. Terrific. Terrific. Those are the jobs you need as 20-year-olds, even 30-year-olds. It builds metal. It makes you strong. And when you finally realize, I don't want to be here anymore, it's because of jobs like that and maybe people like that that you say, fuck this, I'm better than this. I'm going to get up and out of here. That's what motivates you. Not the people that let you walk all over them. Not the buildings that have pause points where there's couches in the hallway so you can talk while you get your coffee. No! You fucking go to your desk and work. Put your head down and wait till 6 o'clock. Whatever time you punch out. It can be intense. It really could be intense. You got goddamn right it was intense. Linda Stacy would threaten my life. She didn't mean it, but she'd tell Michael, if you don't come in tomorrow with a story, I'm going to chop your fucking head off. And then she'd point to the chainsaw on the floor that I bought her. One of my first jobs for Linda in the morning was to go to OTB, off-track betting, and place bets on tips she got from mafiosa friends of hers. I didn't get any nightmares. I won a few bucks. It was fun to do that. I even took a dry cleaning. I was 31 years old. Don't give a shit. I wanted her job. You know what? In two years, I got it. And I kept it for five more. And I built my name. And that's what it takes. You got to have calluses on your hands. You got to have a hard asshole. You got to be able to sweat, man. You little pussies. You can't go to these jobs. TV jobs. My God, working for a TV show and thinking it's hard. Let me tell you something. Making TV is hard. Making TV is the kind of high-pressure job that a lot of people are going to lash out. My sister famously worked for a gynecologist for years who was a wonderful man, a great man, and a great family friend, Dr. William Tesoro. He delivered both of my nephews. He was my mother's gynecologist, both my sister's gynecologist, even my wife, my first wife's for a while, and my Aunt Mary who lived with us. He knew the personnel. He knew the inside personals of all the women in our lives. And you know what? We couldn't have asked for a better man. But I remember when the phone would ring at Rosie's house and Dr. Tesoro was there at work and she was off and he couldn't find something. And he had a very distinct voice. And she kept the message for years because it's so funny. He had, there were these two women who walked around West Islip, mother and daughter, maybe 60 and 40. And they were like, as we say in Italian, shimanut. They were like off their rocker probably more than bipolar, some kind of thing wrong with them. 
like that show with the daughter and the mother living in the garden, whatever it was called. I forget the name of that movie with Drew Barrymore. You know what I mean. Good movie. Crazy mother and daughter wearing hats. They'd walk down Montauk Highway together holding hands. I, I, no one knew where they lived, but they had their gynecologist was Dr. Tesoro. And one time, you know, he told Rosalie, Rosalie, he talked like that, whatever, the, let's, let's call them the Nelsons. Whatever the Nelsons want to come in for an appointment, I want you to schedule them last on a Friday because they stink the whole fucking office up. I don't want to smell them. I want you to take the speculum and throw it in the garbage. Don't clean it. <laughs> Somebody didn't schedule them last and he went crazy. Rosalie, why the hell are they here at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday? But then he would just call and go, Rosalie, where is that goddamn schedule for Friday? Could you get your ass out of work right now? And the work was only a mile away. But we didn't care. We loved him. He was good to us, good to my sister. Yes, he spouted off at times. But so does Jack. So do my father. So do I. And there aren't men alive who treat their women better. Now, my current wife might disagree, but I'm telling you the truth. All this gets back to my point. You work for men who have passion for what they do. They deep down care about you if you work hard and you will get ahead. But if you're one of these people, one of these pussies who can't take the intensity in the environment you work in, you're never going to get ahead. The people who win wars for us, the people who stand on walls, go through hell. They would gladly change places with you and be yelled at by Dr. Phil. But you pussies don't know that. I wish you'd learn. It'd be a much better country overnight. I'm AJ Benza. That was Free Ball Fridays for February 11th, 2022. I'll talk to you as Monday. But if you want to hear me every day, go to patreon.com slash fame is a bitch. And on weekends, you can go to patreon.com slash politics is a bitch for three shows of my thoughts and views on this incredibly wacky world we live in which is now headed by the mannequin known as Joe Biden. That's it, guys. Have a good weekend. I'll talk to you Monday. Thank you for listening. Fame is a Bitch is an AJ Benza Workhouse Connect production featuring the endless wisdom, insightful commentary, and sometimes fucked up perspective of AJ Benza. Executive producer, Mike Agavino. 